Let's together pray. Lord God, it is so good to have the account of your deeds. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hand over lordship to you. And I pray that you would help me as I preach. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, my topic is the stillness of worship. Stillness. And I don't mean by stillness the absence of motion or silence, for certainly in our liturgy, uh, we intentionally move a lot. Anglican liturgy is participatory. It's bodily. We sit, stand, kneel. I've heard it called church calisthenics. We sit, stand, kneel. We come forward. We eat. We drink. We shake hands to exchange the peace that God has won for us. We move around in the sanctuary. We sing these songs. It's meant to be participatory. So when I say the stillness of worship, I don't mean sitting quietly in a dark room or something. What I mean, though, is an inner disposition of heart, uh, a stillness of personhood that you trust the kingdom of God is not in trouble. All is well. Our soul is at rest in God's kingdom. I'd like you to memorize a scripture verse this morning. Frankly, you probably had this one memorized, um, but it'd be good to connect it to where the scripture actually is so you could find it again. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Now it goes on and says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. But just learning that first part, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. If you look at Psalm 46, there are 11 verses and all but one are in the third person he or God or even she, speaking of the city of God, it's in the third person grammatically, except for verse 10, where it shifts over to the first person. The psalm is describing God and his lordship, his kingship. And then all of a sudden it says, I, be still and know that I am God. I don't know about you, but I have this experience quite a bit when I'm praying, when I'm writing in a journal. I don't journal a ton, but I do somewhat. I'll be writing in my journal praises to God or things that are on my heart or prayers, And as I'm thinking the words and I'm writing, you know, God, you're gracious. I'm so grateful for this day. You're a good God. I will sometimes hear something in the first person, something like, I will never disappoint you. It will come into my head like that. And I, and then I go, God, was that you or is that me? And then usually there's dead silence and I write it down and underline it. And I feel like maybe the psalmist had a similar experience as he was describing God being a fortress his trustworthiness, how he is over the seas and in control of everything, God gave him a word, be still and know that I am God. That knowing is the stillness of worship. The believer comes into God's presence and is at peace in his presence, knowing that that God's got this. Things are under control. Our liturgy opens Um, it begins with an opening acclamation where we say, blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom. We are defining who is the Lord and what is he Lord of. That's helpful as we come into God's presence to say, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his kingdom is at hand. When Jesus came, his first word was, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That was an invitation. In Christ, something had changed. There was a new access to God's kingdom. His kingdom was breaking into this world, and we were invited and are still invited to be part of that work. So who is the Lord, and what is he Lord of? 
Now, it could be argued and has been argued that the fundamental problem with humanity is this. We all want to be God. You and I want to be God. We want to have control. We want to be in charge. We want to be God and not let God be God. We want that job. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, the original sin, God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except that one. And Satan came and his temptation was basically this. That guy can't be trusted. God's not good. He's holding out on you. You need to go and take the initiative here and, and do what you want. And when they did, everything fell apart. Everything's broken. And that original sin is still present. I mean, we still do those kind of things. We have control issues. How many of you like to be the driver if you have another person that drives in your house? You just like being behind the wheel. Yep, thank you. I'm with you. I like driving. My wife's a great driver. I just like feeling like I'm in control, even though I'm really not. Some of us have submission issues. We don't like when someone else has a position of leadership and we've got to submit to their decisions or ideas. We just don't like it. It feels beneath us somehow. Some of us have power issues. When we get in charge, it's, it's, it, we have a craving for power. I'm in charge here, and it, it can take over. Like, I just need to feel like I'm, I'm the powerful one. These and other things are all part of that original problem. We want to be God. Now, the problem, though, is that you're not actually in control, and you are, you are serving and worshiping someone or something. It's either God or it's sin. You might think you're in control, but you're really not. It's your selfishness that is ruling things in your life, and you're a slave and don't even realize it. And I do the same things. And so what Psalm 46.10 is saying is, stop it. It's in the plural, by the way, in Hebrew. It's not, you be still, it's, you all be still. It's speaking to the cosmos, to the world, to everything. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 1 talks about trouble, kind of nondescript. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, whatever that time of trouble might be. Verse 2 talks about fear. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Calamities in nature, weather channel stuff. When that stuff is happening, don't fear. Verse 6 talks about the nations that are raging, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. I mean, that is a description of the world we live in. Just watch any news channel right now. As we ramp up to an election year, the nations are raging. Kingdoms are tottering. People are posturing for power. You watch enough of that stuff, your anxiety and blood pressure level will go up. It's frightening. Verse 9 talks about wars. But it says he, he makes wars cease. Now think about those things. Trouble, fear, calamities in nature, nations raging in wars. What power do you have to stop any of that? We really don't. We can't do that. We can't stop that. What can we do? Well, we can get real anxious. We can be afraid. We can worry. We can obsess about it. We can put our hopes in other systems or people or whatever and... and not be at peace, not have the stillness of worship. Our anxiety level comes up. We can run around crazy, manic. 
I have a friend from high school who actually is diagnosed as bipolar, has manic um, episodes, and, and he's doing great, and he's you know, on medicine, but in high school it wasn't known. And by the time he was in college, he actually had an episode where his manic um, situation got so bad he was institutionalized. And later he described it to me. He said, I was actually physically running around the, the psych ward out of control. And this huge attendant, one of the nurses there, a big, strong guy, he said he came up and he bear hugged me from behind and he went, be still. And he pressed me down to the ground and wouldn't let go. And he said that feeling of something bigger and stronger than me saying be still was enough to calm me. I got some medicine. I came down. My physical body was stopped. And then my mind started to slow down as well. It reversed what he, whatever the cycle he was in. Something bigger from the outside grabbing him and saying, be still. And anytime I read Psalm 4610, I think of my friend and that experience he described. It's like God is putting his arms around us and going, stop, be still. I've got this. I'm God. Now, Jesus is the embodiment of Psalm 46 in so many ways. Verse 3 talks about waters. Though it's waters, the waters of the earth roar and foam, and the mountains tremble at its swelling. You guys, if you were here when Irma came through, Hurricane Irma, it was scheduled to hit um, on Sunday morning at like 5 a.m. We'd watched five days of those spaghetti models and all those maps, and our anxiety was going up, and we finally went, we can't do church. I can't expect people to come out here on a Sunday morning and put themselves at risk because it's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be. So we had church at 5 o'clock, I think it was, on Saturday night, one service. And I scrapped the sermon I was ready to preach that Sunday morning, and I was sitting in my office praying, and I looked over at the painting that I have hanging on my wall, and I went, oh, that's exactly what we need. I took a picture of it, and I put it on the screen, and I have it up there again. This is a Rembrandt painting. It's kind of dark, so it's hard to see what's there. Um, it actually is stolen, if any of you know where this is. Um, the one in my office is not the original. Um, it, it's, it's got 14 people in the boat, if you count them. If you could get up close and count them, there are 14. But do a little math with me. How many apostles are there? 12. Plus Jesus makes 13. Who's the 14th person? Well, if you look very closely on the port side, on the left, there's a man hanging on to the shroud, that cord coming down, and he's holding onto his cap so it doesn't blow off, and he's looking straight at you. That's Rembrandt the painter. He actually put himself in the boat in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the gospel reading we just heard, and he painted this picture. In the back there by the tiller, is Jesus, and he's got kind of a brighter halo around his head, and you can see his beard, and he's just sitting there. Well, he was sleeping in the back of the boat, and the storm whipped up, and it was, it was obviously a pretty bad storm as this picture displays. I mean, it's breaking the rigging. It's torn the jib. One of the shrouds is loose. Water's everywhere. Jesus is asleep, and they wake him up and say, don't you care that we're perishing? And you know what he does next? He says, be still. And I'm sure it was one of the eeriest things they'd ever experienced. In a storm like that, flat sea of Galilee, no wind. Just, you know, water sloshing in the bottom of the boat and a couple of loose torn pieces of the rigging like hitting the mast. And they say, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Good question indeed. Who is it that could speak and the very created order would obey the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus' word was enough to stop the sea. There are other readings where his word does other things. A, a man possessed by a demon is crying out, Son of God, we know who you are. And he says, be silent. 
and the demon is silent. He casts it out of the man. And the people go, who is this that even the demons submit to his voice? Good question. King of kings, Lord of lords. There's a man with leprosy. And he says, stretch out your hand and it's made clean. And they say, who is this that can heal? Another person, he says, your sins are forgiven. And they say, who can forgive sins? And he says, to prove that I can forgive sins, get up off your mat and walk. And it was a man who couldn't walk. He's healed right in front of them. And he says, I can forgive sins and I can heal. Who is it that can do all this? It's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Psalm 46 is describing God's presence with us. In verses 1, 5, 7, and 11, it talks about God being with us. Do you know what one of the many names for Jesus is? Emmanuel. It means God with us. He's not just ruling from some distant place, um, removed from us. He is God with us. And his very last words in Matthew's gospel, if you turn to Matthew's gospel, my, my words of Christ are in red letters in my Bible. The last words literally say, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age, period, end of Matthew's gospel. So Jesus is like, don't worry, I've got this and I'm with you to the end of this age. And that, we're still in that age, by the way, 2,000 years, but we're still in the age of the church. And Jesus is saying, I'm with you. Now, there's a refrain in Psalm 46, verses 7 and 11 repeat the same thing. It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We don't often use the term hosts. I mean, we use it to say, like, I'm hosting a party at my house, or I'm the dinner host or something, and you might be the guest. But it has multiple meanings if you look the word up. Hosts refers to a multitude. We might talk about the starry host of heaven. There are all those stars up there, or the heavenly host, all of the beings and people that are around God's throne in heaven. Or hosts also means an army or armies. He's the God of angel armies as a contemporary uh, chorus these days sings. It's It's the God of hosts, the one who has multitudes with him that is ruling. And he's called the God of Jacob. Jacob's one of the patriarchs. What that does is it reminds us that he is consistent of character. The God of Jacob made promises and he fulfilled them. And he is still fulfilling those promises. He's trustworthy. Um, Verse 1 in here, Psalm 46 verse 1 gives you a little footnote in the ESV. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the footnote on the word present is that it can also say well proved. He's the God of Jacob. He was faithful in Jacob's day. He was faithful in Moses' day. He was faithful in David's day. He's faithful in the time of Christ. He'll be faithful today. He's well-proved. God is our refuge and strength, a very well-proved help in trouble. So the way of the kingdom is to repent. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent of trying to be God. Hand lordship over to him and then start being part of his kingdom. That's Mark chapter 1. Trust in Jesus' rule. He is capable And he's the only one capable capable to rule. Now, all of our problems don't disappear, I want to say. This is not like some, you know, happy sermon that we all just smile and there's no problems if we just make Jesus our Lord. I'm not preaching that. It's not a prosperity gospel. Quite the opposite, in fact. There is a clash of kingdoms happening where God's kingdom is breaking in, and it's not easy. Jesus said as much in Matthew's gospel in chapter 10. He says, persecution will come. In this world, in John's chapter, John 17, he says, you'll have tribulation, but I've overcome it. But here it says this. I'm just going to read you a bit of it. He's talking about persecution coming, and he's saying, look at how they treated me. 
And if you decide to follow me, don't think they're going to treat you any better. In fact, they might treat you worse. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Sparrow, so insignificant, it's sold for a penny. Two, in fact, for a penny. And they matter to God, and he knows exactly what's going on with them, and not one of them will die apart from his will and his permission allowing it to happen. And he's saying, you are much more valuable than they are. The hairs of your head are numbered. God has that much control. He is that good as your Lord. Now again, he doesn't necessarily deliver you from the storms. Christ is in the boat with them. He got wet too. His nap got ruined. He was comfortable back there. He was resting. He was tired and it got ruined. He was in the storm. Or Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Not you keep me from the valley of the shadow of death. We know that this life is going to be hard. But for the person who submits to Jesus as king and comes into the kingdom, it changes the game. We're looking for two things. We're looking for where is God's kingdom breaking in and where is the king himself in the midst of it? If he says, I'm with you, where, where is he? Well, he's here. He's in those situations. The kingdom is any place where his rule is recognized. So uh, the person sitting next to you could be in the kingdom and you could not be because you're choosing not to surrender to his lordship. The kingdom could break in right there. The kingdom could break in in your family, in your workplace, in our neighborhoods. And one of the things that's amazing about God is when calamity happens, oftentimes there's a moment for the kingdom there. People are focused on the damage, the hurt, the loss, the death, whatever it might be. But there's a bigger kingdom thing happening. What Jesus is teaching here is he's saying, take the eternal view. Take the long view. Recognize that this is not all there is. There is more coming. And then we've got a God who's a redeemer. We've got a God who can take the worst situation and make good out of it. So Lord, show me what you're doing in the midst of this suffering or this hardship or this blessing. You might be in a season of prosperity, abundance of goodness right now. God, what are you doing right now? Why are you giving me this favor? Why am I experiencing this? How can I use it for your kingdom? Or why am I suffering so? God, help me with this. What are you doing here? Give me kingdom eyes to see. And what we know about God is that he can take the worst thing and bring good. That's what the cross symbol is about. The worst death that the Romans could invent killed Jesus. And his presence so graced that cross that it's now a piece of jewelry. It's an object of edification. It's a symbol of his glory. He defeated so many things on that cross. Our sin, hell, Satan, all that stuff. He took an awful thing and he did great through it. So the king of kings can do that in your life as well. And whatever your circumstances are. 
So look for the kingdom in your situation and partner with it and look for the king himself in there. Ask him, what are you doing in this situation, God? How can I participate with this? What good are you going to bring from it? Help me in that. And then the third thing is to bear witness. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I'm God. It also says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He expects those who have come under his lordship to be his witnesses, to call others into that kingdom. When you're going through the suffering and you're praying and you're seeking God and you're refusing, as Job, Job's friend said, curse God and die, as you're refusing to do that, they're going, why? How is it that you have strength in this moment? Bear witness. Point to God. Say, this life isn't all there is. This life has a lot of good in it, and I'm thankful for that, but this is not all there is. The best is yet to come. This is just a moment for God's kingdom, and he's given me the grace, and I'm, I'm trusting him because he's good. King of kings and Lord of lords, this is Christ the King Sunday. Place your trust in his rule. Come into his kingdom and bear witness in the world. Let's pray. Lord, I'm talking about hard things this morning. And I pray for your peace and your stillness. I pray for us to have your eyes and ears for our situation. Lord, for anyone in here who has not given lordship back over to you, I pray for the courage to do so. Help each one of us repent of the places where we're trying to be God and to let you do what only you can do. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.